0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. This week, instead of focusing entirely on new stuff, I kind of fell into a time machine to revisit
1: some classics and their not-so-classic sequels. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I did something similar, but I also did watch the new George Clooney-directed Ben Affleck-starring movie, The Tender Bar. And looking
0: at this week's new movies, you'd think it was Halloween. We will explain that in just a few moments. But we want to start by putting this on your radar now Because it returns in a week on January 21st On Netflix, it's the beginning of the end Part one of the fourth and final season of Ozark Should we get started? Not until our other partner
1: gets here Partner? So what's this message from Mexico so important you had to drag us all in here?
0: The Navarro Cartel has been made aware that you intend to start producing heroin again. They have instructed us to warn you. Their response is going to be quick and it's going to be brutal. We're just the messengers here.
1: You two are celebrities. You will use your influence. I will walk away from my business. I will be free of the threat of arrest or assassination. And to move freely to the United States.
0: Omar Navarro wants to cut a deal with the FBI.
1: What would it take? More than he's willing to give. Do this and you are free of your obligation to me.
0: Some of you know this show, Ozark, some of you know it and love it, and some of you won't have a clue what we're talking about. Ozark debuted in 2017 with Jason Bateman and Laura Linney as the lead stars. Bateman plays Marty Bird, a finance guy in Chicago, who's also laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. Some bad things happen, and he has to relocate his family to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, where he ends up having to launder even more money for the Mexican drug cartel. From there, he also gets mixed up with the local drug lords who grow poppies for heroin, and a family of low-life crooks led by Ruth, who is young but bright and has a killer instinct with some kindness and vulnerability mixed in. The birds are a family that... Should have been killed by now, multiple times, but they just continue to find ways to not only stay ahead of all those who would kill them, but expand their operations. And now even their genius son, Jonah, is in on the family practice. You know, she's crazy, right? What if you did the laundering for me? She's laundering at 14.
1: Do not be proud of him right now.
0: That wasn't a sarcastic comment, by the way. He really is a genius. Or as Ruth calls him in one scene, he's one of them Savorants. The first season was good, not great. It had potential, though, because it was dark, it was claustrophobic, it had a sinister musical score, and a surprisingly excellent performance from Baton, Bateman. Now, I say surprising because before Ozark, I'd mostly known Jason Bateman from comedy. Turns out he's awesome at drama, too, and he didn't really have to change anything. He just kind of uses that same deadpan manner of speaking, and it works brilliantly for this show because his character somehow manages to almost always remain calm, and uh, he's perfect in it. Lenny plays his wife, Wendy. She's terrific as well, but that's no surprise because she's always terrific. Same thing in Season 2. Good, not great. Season 3... That's where this show went from good to great. And you can even see it on the Rotten Tomatoes. Season 1 was 70%, season 2 78%, season 3 98%. And the show has won several awards along the way. It's got an excellent cast who consistently delivers top-shelf performances. And watching Wendy's transformation through the series has maybe been... The most interesting part for me, as she has joined the fold, so to speak, with Marty to make them into a power couple of crooks, but also to strengthen the family, quite frankly, just to stay alive. And here we are now at season four, part one, seven episodes in part one, seven more in part two. Whenever those debut later this year And as you heard in the clip The big drug boss wants out And he's prepared to cut a deal with the FBI But he wants more than the FBI is prepared to give But if he doesn't get what he wants He'll kill the birds Sounds like a fun way to live Always looking over your shoulder I have watched the first three episodes Can't tell you anything yet I will have a review for you though Next week
1: Your greatest thrill. Will always come from the inside, Marty. Never forget that. And also coming soon to your TVs, coming this week, in fact, a year after the MCU started debuting its new batch of TV shows, the DC Extended Universe is doing the same, and they're starting with John Cena's Peacemaker.
0: You that Peacemaker guy?
1: Yeah. Evil supervillain? Not a super villain that's a- Misconception. (laughs) Peacemaker is a highly
0: trained weapons specialist. What the hell is that? It's a grenade I tied to a Russian tank shell. How many people does this blow up? I
1: don't know, invented it this morning. A questionable backstory. They're the only choice I could. Funny, how often the only choice in killing people coincides.
0: Peacemaker is a trained assassin that wears a costume. A bright red shirt and white
1: pants aren't exactly conducive to lurking in the shadows. People see this uniform, it strikes fear in their hearts. Who? The other people at the village people (laughs) tryouts? Peacemaker is
0: recruited to join a secret team for a mission that probably doesn't have a large chance of success. You don't want to believe in miracles, that's on you. He fights for his values, what he believes is good. I made a vow to have peace at any cost. No matter how many men, women, and children I need to kill to get it. Hey, no! Good, so right now the world needs a psychopath. And you're the only one I got.
1: Peacemaker was introduced into the DCEU this past summer with the Suicide Squad, where he was very funny. Uh, He fancies himself as an all-American hero committed to making peace at any cost, which ironically usually involves a lot of violence. John Cena is great in the role as he's built like a superhero, but he's also very capable of the comedy involved. He's in the weird position of constantly having to prove his comedy chops because he's a handsome, beefy dude, and those guys are not usually associated with being funny, so Cena is destroying stereotypes in the process. The Suicide Squad was a terrific movie, by the way, probably the best superhero movie of the year after Spider-Man No Way Home. Check that out if you've not yet seen it. Um, So hopes for our high for Peacemaker, the TV show. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet as we record this, but the first three episodes are debuting on Crave here in Canada on Thursday, the 13th, and then after that it's an episode per week for five more weeks. And James Gunn, who directed the Suicide Squad as well as the MCU's Guardians of the Galaxy movies, wrote all eight episodes of Peacemaker and he directed five of them. So it's very much his thing. And that's good because those other movies he did are great. So I'm uh, stoked to start digging into Peacemaker real soon. A couple of movies to point
0: out for this week. One of them, I, it's funny, I went to Rotten Tomatoes to see what's new this week. And then I thought, holy smokes, it's out this weekend.
1: You ready for
0: this? Never. Scream, the fifth installment in the Scream franchise. Not sure why they've just decided to call it Scream. But uh, yeah, it's getting really good reviews so far. Takes place 25 years after that first streak of brutal murders shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro. With a new killer donning the ghost face mask and beginning to target a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. So, as reluctant as I often am to keep going down the the path of these horror sequels, I enjoy the Scream movies. I didn't even mind Scream 4 all that much. In fact, I I should watch that again, because now that I think about it, I, I got quite a kick out of it in the theaters. It wasn't spectacular or anything. It was just good popcorn fun, but I liked it. So, I think I will eventually check out Scream. And Jeff... Correct me if I'm wrong, but Scream, you actually like those movies,
1: don't you? Yeah, it's one of the few uh, horror uh, franchises that I'm actually uh, a big fan of. Although I haven't seen the fourth one yet, but I did see the first three and the second and third ones I saw actually in theaters, and I felt like a big boy when I went to see those screenings because couldn't believe I was doing it. So I, I am very interested in Scream 5. I will think I, I will wait until it's out of theater, and uh, like you, I, I wish they... They just call it Scream. Like, just put the five after it. We know it's the fifth one. <laughs> they, they, they don't want to put the five on there because it makes it, the poster looks cheap. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, the fifth one, that can't be any good. But come on, who, who are you fooling? Fair enough. That's actually a really good
0: point. They're probably trying to make it sound artsier by just calling it Scream. Yeah. It's like a postmodern, I don't know. Also out this <laughs> week uh, is a fourth movie in this franchise, but it's on Prime Video. Hotel Transylvania transformania on january 14th family movie night is getting revamped only on prime video for centuries no human has had the power to become a monster until now but is it safe though let's find out is everything okay down here hey drac what's up oops (laughs) What's going on? I used Van Helsing's transforming ray. <laughs> You're human, dread Dad?
1: Oh no, I have a total
0: dad bod. So there's a transformation ray that turns humans into monsters and monsters into humans. And the transformation ray is used on all the monsters in the Hotel Transylvania Land and Comic... Hi in ensue. It's getting decent reviews. Uh, the the I I have never seen a Hotel Transylvania movie. Jeff, uh, your girlfriend's got kids. Have you watched any of these
1: movies? No, I've tried to get them to. To watch it once and they just were not interested so I haven't seen them either, either. but uh, I was hoping whenever there's like a series it's like hey why don't we try this because then you're like golden for a couple of weeks like oh why don't we watch the next one and then why don't we watch the third one but, <laughs> No, they didn't want to go for the hotel Transylvania now I think they're probably most of them are too old for it so. Fair enough
0: and I should also point out as well Eternals is out in case you missed it in theaters the Marvel movie Eternals it's now available on Disney Plus that came out early when Wednesday morning, so I'm actually excited for that. I have not seen it yet, so I will be watching Eternals at some point this week. In a moment, Jeff is going to take you to The Tender Bar.
1: You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and George Clooney has a new movie that he's directed. It's out on Prime Video now. It stars Ben Affleck and Ty Sheridan, and it's called The Tender Bar. Hey, whose kid is that? Sisters. Which sister? A hot one or a crazy one? What, do you wanna die? <laughs> okay, two rules. I'm never gonna let you win. And I'm gonna always tell you the truth. Your father is deadbeat. I'll take care of
0: you. Teach you. the male sciences. I saw you in the yard playing sports. You're not very good. You'll find some other activities.
1: I like to read.
0: You read enough of those. Maybe you could become a writer. One more thing, very important. Never hit a woman, even if she stabs you with scissors.
1: Got it. The Tender Bar is available on Prime Video, so if you're a subscriber, you are good to go. And it's a coming-of-age story based on a memoir by J.R. Moeringer and a screenplay by William Monahan. That guy also wrote the movie The Departed, so between him and Affleck, I sort of assumed this would be a Boston movie, but it's not. It's set on Long Island, New York, and follows this kid, J.R., and his family. He and his mom have fallen on some hard times, and they move back into his grandpa's house, which a lot of the family seems to be doing. The grandpa, by the way, played by Doc Brown himself. Christopher Lloyd, and he has a few kids, and they all seem to be either moving in or moving out over the course of the 10 to 15 years that this story is set. Except for Charlie, who never moved out. He's played by Ben Affleck. He's JR's uncle and surrogate father because JR's real dad is the dirtbag radio DJ they all call. The Voice, and he's never around, and he doesn't send money, and he still owes Affleck 30 bucks from years ago. So it's up to Ben Affleck to be the father figure to young JR, and he doles out his Long Island wisdom, often while tending bar. The local bar is called Dickens, and it's filled with books behind the bar, and the patrons are both what you kind of imagine the cast of The Outsiders would be after they hit middle age, but they're all also very well read, and they're quoting dickens and things like that throughout the movie the first half of the film is set when jr is about 11 years old and he's starting to learn about life from uncle charlie and then the second half of the movie is when jr's is in college preparing for the rest of his life and the movie flashes back between both time periods he falls in love he makes friends he tries to get comfortable in his own skin all the things he go through in college all the things that make up a coming-of-age movie and it's a pretty good watch it's very light on plot but there's a comfortable breeziness to all of it that i didn't mind It hits on all the other categories. It looks great. It's set in the 70s and 80s, and that period stuff just looks very authentic. The characters are interesting for the most part. The performances are terrific the first half when Jr. is just a little kid is maybe more interesting than the the second part of his life, but that had its moments as well. And uh, Ty Sheridan plays the college age Jr. He starred in uh, Ready Player One a couple of years ago, if you're trying to remember who that guy is, but I actually didn't recognize him at first. I I thought he really looks like Tom Hardy's little brother. And I kept expecting when I looked him up to find out that he was Tom Hardy's little brother, but he's not. Um, And it is one of these roles that Affleck was born to play. He's very much reminded me of like an older grown up version of Chucky, the character he played in Goodwill Hunting 25 years ago. And his Long Island accent was a nice change of pace from his Boston accent. Although I must say, as much as I'm sick of hearing thick Boston accents in movies, Ben Affleck's is probably the one I like the most. It's the one I sort of copy the most whenever I hear it and then I start talking in it when I'm by myself just for fun. Anyways, so like I said, The Tender Bar, it's a comfortable watch even though there's nothing terribly dramatic plot-wise going on. It's only at 53% on Rotten Tomatoes and most uh, general consensus is that it's kind of meandering and it's just like, what's the point of this movie? But it's more of just a hangout movie as this kid grows up. And it's also part of director George Clooney's uh, growing list of watchable but not quite great movies. I, I will say this for George Clooney. He is very consistent in that regard. It's like he's playing a little too safe and so he ends up with these serviceable movies but he never really wows you. So far the exception would be Good Night and Good Luck. His Edward R. Murrow biopic from 15 years ago that got us all excited that Clooney would be this awesome director. And I think he still can be because many of his movies since then have have shown the potential, if not the results. And The Tender Bar is another one of them. It is worth a watch. Like I said, it's on Prime Video, so if you have that, you can just watch it whenever you want. It's sitting right there, and I'll give it three and a half couch cushions out of five, Brett. In a
0: moment, we want to talk about the finale for Dexter, New Blood. Did It redeemed the show. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and Dexter. New blood wrapped up last weekend.
0: There's strong evidence that your fire was arson. Can you think of anyone you crossed recently?
1: No one comes to mind.
0: Hey, I am the phoenix. I rise from the ashes.
1: No one will tell me what's happening.
0: The world needs us.
1: I trusted you. I the back if I can get... You'll see what real evil looks like. That from the finale of Dexter New Blood. And just a heads up, we are going to get into spoiler territory over the next few minutes. So if you've been watching Dexter New Blood and you have not yet seen the finale, you might want to check out for the next five or so. Now, I say they nailed it. A fitting end to the 10-episode miniseries and... A fitting end to the overall series of Dexter that washes the foul taste of the 2013 sad lumberjack finale out of our mouths. Uh, I thought this was great, satisfying in both the way it resolved the story of the season and in the way it dealt with Dexter, the character. And I liked how it worked as a series revisit. Other shows should take note because it didn't just dust off the old sets and give us another season of what we'd already seen eight times over. It was different and new while the character remained true to the character. And if you're going to bring a show back, have some sort of a point, have some sort of an idea for a brand new adventure too many shows, I think, are relying purely on the nostalgia factor, which is fun for an episode or two, but then I think the audience can start to be you know, reminded why the show ended to begin with. Dexter New Blood avoided most of that by only having his sister Deb show up sporadically and literally in a different form than we knew her from the old show. And besides her, there were a couple of scenes with Batista, and that was it. Everyone else was new. Dexter was on a different mission, first trying to be a good boy, and then as the season went along, trying to bring his son into the murderous family business. And even the setting was starkly different, you know, with hot and sunny Miami giving way to cold and isolated small-town rural New York. It clicked for me from beginning to end, and I think the show totally redeemed itself from the terrible finale in 2013,
0: Brett. Yeah,
1: I I loved it. I had
0: terribly low expectations going into New Blood. Just to avoid disappointment, it was one of those things where I'm going to watch it, but I'm really skeptical. And uh, here come some of the spoilers. So, five, four, three, <laughs> two, no. one. What? But ah. uh, spoiler alerts for Dexter New Blood. I was so happy that the show got better Week to week, they had an excellent, intimidating, and formidable villain played by Clancy Brown. And then Dexter, in a moment of desperation, trying to get his son get to his son in the finale, he kind of became the very thing he was trying to protect the world from. A monster. Like, his whole journey on the show has been about going from a lifeless psycho... To an actual human being with emotions. We've seen him gradually evolve with each passing season. And in this case, he finally felt like an explosion of real emotions to want to protect his son. But in doing so, he kind of returns to his raw and base self, which is that monster. The Dark Passenger takes over. And not only does he become the Dark Passenger, but he just wants to flee wants to teach his son the code. I think not just so he could be a good dad and protect his son, but also so he ke- he could keep feeding his murderous addiction because in trying to protect his son, he kills a good man. And that was, I, I even said when he did it, like, why, Dexter, why? But then exactly. it ultimately makes sense because there's this kind of weird psycho moment of, I think, sort of poetic fatherly pride because his son called him out on his BS. He says to him, don't we protect the innocent? And in that moment, Dexter realizes, yeah, my son is right. And in a final fatherly lesson, he teaches his son to do what's right, to protect the world, protect the innocent, honor the code, and kill him. So it was sad watching Dexter die, but... It would have been boring, I think, had the show kept going in the big city. They talked about moving to the big city. They would have always been on the run. I know people are mad at the finale, but um, they're wrong, as far as, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And I did talk to uh, somebody who gave some perspective as somebody who loves true crime. Um, she says so well done, in my opinion, because it was believable. More so than the original ending. And in today's world, serial killers almost always get caught because it's hard to escape the kind of technology we have now. There's cameras everywhere, DNA tracing, the internet. The show made a lot of sense to real, true crime fans. So I thought it was outstanding. I'm so glad they came back and did this show again. And I know a lot of people are mad, too, about the Batista swerve, right? Because it made it look like there was going to be the showdown with the Batista coming to Iron Lake. And it never. they teased it. And then it never happened, and I think that was meant to be kind of a swerve, because they wanted to make sure oh, yeah. that we didn't see see it coming to see what happened. And it, like Batista never got his sort of moment in the sun, but he didn't need it. We didn't need that showdown. We just needed Dexter to take off and um, ended up. And then he ended up going into the dirt. It was good.
1: Yeah, it was terrific. I, I I agree with you 100% on all of that stuff, and especially the Batista stuff. Is like, don't bring Miami into this any more than you have to. And the couple of times that they did show him, that was more than enough to remind us, oh, that's right, it's tied to this other show. But uh, And, you know, th- th- they, this essentially solves the Bay Harbor Butcher stuff as well, so it does sort of tie back into his life in Miami and in that regard. And you know Batista will show up like, 20 minutes later and just, like, stand over the dead body with the lady sheriff and be like, yeah, okay, I guess we still got to the bottom of that one. There you go. So Dexter New
0: Blood was fantastic.
1: If you haven't watched it, it's on
0: Crave. And uh, if you, hopefully you've watched it by now. Hopefully we didn't just spoil it for you, but we gave <laughs> as much warning as we could. In a moment, we want to talk about the uh, late 80s and 1990s thrillers that we decided to revisit. Some of them are great. Some of their sequels Not so much. We'll explain next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And we went into the Wayback Machine this past week for some comfort viewing. From the best-selling novel.
0: There are other women where I was held, and I believe in my heart that they're still alive. Morgan Freeman. The boy shows eight missing. This guy's a collector. Ashley John.
1: Stop treating me like I'm a victim. I'm the only person who's seen him. Take me with you. When it goes
0: down, I need this guy intact. Hold it! Come on! It's the girls. Everywhere, Friday, October
1: 3rd. Yeah, Friday, October 3rd, 1996 I think it was. Uh, this is a good time for some comfort watching. After the madness of the holidays, there's a vacuum both in our schedules and also in our souls, I think, as we hit January which can be bleak at the best of times. You know, there's seasonal affective disorder and now with so much of the country under tighter restrictions or lockdowns once again it's even more of a bummer. So we've been looking for our happy spots in our viewing where we can. I finished my lost rewatch. I started a Seinfeld rewatch. I absolutely tore it Through the first three seasons of Seinfeld over the holidays, I'm on to season four now, which is the good stuff. But beyond that, I've been gravitating towards a movie genre that I've grown to really love, and that is thrillers. From the 1990s. For me specifically, I've been enjoying movies that I've never seen before because at the time they came out, I was not a big thriller guy, except for like the truly exceptional stuff. And that stuff usually had some, you know, real stylistic flair to it, like David Fincher movies or other indie movies or just playing cool crime movies, your Tarantinos and whatnot. But things like Kiss the Girl, starring Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd, I was skipping those in the 90s, saving my time and money for the cool movies the big action movies, and the comedies. Now, at age 45, I'm loving those old thrillers, and all the more so because they're fresh to me. I don't know what the twists are, although most of them are pretty easy to guess. So not only do I basically get a brand new movie out of it, I also still get the nostalgia that we look for in our comfort viewing. Nostalgia for the 90s filmmaking. The stars of the time or younger versions of actors I still like. Nostalgia for the 90s in general. Most of these movies are of course set in the 90s and in 2022 as the pandemic re-rages on. It's just comforting to go back 25 years. So this past weekend I watched Kiss the Girls. I watched its sequel, Along Came a Spider, which also stars Morgan Freeman. It's technically not a 90s movie. I think it was from 2002. And I watched Double Jeopardy, which also stars Ashley Judd. I hadn't seen any of them before. I knew about them, of course. I remembered them from when they were released. Now, none of those three are going to be accused of being great all-time classics or anything like that, but they checked all the boxes that I mentioned before, and I've been hunting for new old movies to watch. I probably shouldn't have burned through those three so quickly, actually. Last year, I watched uh, Richard Gere's Primal Fear for the first time, and I was kind of blown away by that one. That one is an underrated gem of a movie. I don't like my chances of finding a whole lot of stuff as good as that that I have not yet seen, but I do feel like movies like Kiss the Girls were a dime a dozen in the 90s, so there should be a lot more of that stuff out there for me. The good news, these movies are available everywhere. Ten years ago, I would have had to resort mostly to to cable, although I guess they did have Netflix back then. So 15 years ago, it would have had to be cable or actually go into Blockbuster to rent them. Now cable is still an option, but the streamers all have a vast library of old movies too. And not just the big ones like Netflix, Prime Video, or Disney Plus, but there are a lot of smaller free streamers out there like Tubi, Canopy, Hoopla, Things like that I use an Amazon Fire Stick for my streaming. Those apps are all available on it. Sometimes like with Hoopla, I believe originally I had to register for it via my library, so it's still free but you got to, you know, check with your local library. You might have some access to free streamers through there. The hitch is that you'll have to probably watch a few commercials. That doesn't bother me. But uh, just a brief side note, we watched a movie with the kids last weekend that did have commercials because it was on one of these streamers, and they were downright offended by the interruption. They could not believe that people (laughs) used to live like that. They're like, what this is? Oh, it was. They were mad, like mad, mad. Like, this is insane. So. I don't know. Uh, the, the, the broadcast networks, uh, they also have some streaming apps with movies. That's how we watch Knives Out. That's the one we watch with the kids. And I watched A League of Their Own recently like that as well. So there are options, maybe even a few sitting right at your fingertips that you aren't yet aware of. Lots of good comfort viewing to get us through the winter bread.
0: Yep, and I think that that's how I ended up watching some of my some of the movies that I watched this week because I didn't realize it was on Disney+, Plus, but it is... Predator! It kills for pleasure.
1: Ah! He was skinned alive!
0: It hunts for sport. It's killing us one at a time.
1: But this time, it's picked the wrong man to hunt. If it bleeds, we can kill it. The
0: 1987 action sci fi horror classic is on Disney Plus, and it still, it still holds up. It's one of the best action movies ever and the way that they combine action sci-fi and horror i think is still potentially undefeated because it's got a small cast that has great camaraderie together the setting is so claustrophobic and the musical score just adds this sense of constant dread and once the the monster the predator comes out to play we don't really see much of the predator until very late in the movie so they waited to do the bigger reveal and then of course it has classic lines like this one from jesse the body ventura Son of a just dug in like an alabama tick
1: you're hit you're bleeding man i ain't got time to bleed oh
0: okay so Predator, still love it. I love that movie so much. I also watched the 1990 sequel starring Danny Glover. I've only ever watched that movie once, so I thought, why not?
1: You don't know what you're dealing with. Predator 2, hunting
0: season opens again this Christmas. So the thing with that movie is it takes you out of the jungle to the concrete jungle of Los Angeles it's better than I remember. Like, it's not awesome. It's nowhere near as good as the original. And it it's kind of completely the opposite, whereas the original was this sort of quiet, tense film. This one is just sort of urban chaos, but that urban setting, you know, and especially the way they shoot it and the locations they pick, it's just this dingy, dirty, scary place, kind of a perfect hunting ground. For a Predator. There were also the uh, Alien vs. Predator movies. I didn't watch those. And there's another sequel slash reboot from 2010 called Predators. This planet is a game preserve. We're the game. They can hear you. Smell you. And see you. So that one stars Adrian Brody and Lawrence Fishburne. I did not watch that one yet. I do plan to. But I did watch the 2018 film The Predator and um, not very good. That's all I can really say. It's okay. I don't think it was as bad as some of the reviews were saying, but it's not great. Like, if you want to watch Predator, stick to the original and you can find them all on Disney+. Plus. Also, On Disney Plus?
1: Who else knows about this? SETI in New Mexico identified a signal. And we estimate that it has a diameter of over 550 kilometers and a mass roughly one fourth the size of our moon. What the hell is it? A meteor? No, sir. No, definitely not. How do you know? Well, sir, it's slowing down. It's what?
0: independence day from 1996 it's still awesome it's just this big bloated go usa go alien invasion movie but i love it and then i decided to re-watch the 2016 sequel resurgence that is definitely bigger than the last one And guess what? It's still terrible, so don't waste your time with Resurgence. One more movie that I had to revisit, a sci-fi horror space adventure from 1997, which I have on Blu-ray, but it was still wrapped, and it had an HMV label on it. (laughs) Like HMV. How old is that? I have no idea. I got to research. I can't remember when HMV closed. But clearly, it's been a while since I've watched Event Horizon. So I decided to dust that one off. It has, as much as I like Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, this is my favorite line of his ever. We're leaving. So we only got 20 seconds here. I can't really get into this movie in great detail, but it's a sci-fi horror space adventure that got really bad reviews at the time, but it's a movie that I I find I need to watch every few years because I love it. It's just such a creepy, creepy movie, and a lot of people still find it absolutely terrifying. So uh, maybe I'll just mention a couple more things about this next week, but we are out of time. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother